This is Pop Fiction Women. I'm Corinne. I'm Kate. And we're complicated. Blunt. Total boss. But sometimes a mess. Opinionated. But never boring. And in this podcast, we're discussing the complicated women of the best books, TV, and movies. Along with the complicated women behind the scenes. Warning, lots of spoilers ahead. So come back when you're done. Hurry up, it's starting. We have a very special episode here. It's an original Pop Fiction Women episode covering the runaway bestseller, The Last Thing He Told Me by Laura Dave. But today, Kate and I are joined by Joanna Rakoff. Joanna has been on the podcast before as part of our Complicated Conversations series when we discussed her international best-selling memoir, My Salinger Year, along with the recent adaptation starring Sigourney Weaver, which means she has something in common with this book that we're discussing because the rights to The Last Thing He Told Me were snatched up by Julia Roberts and Reese Witherspoon's production companies and will be adapted for a limited series, which we can't wait to watch and cover as well. But today we're talking about the book and Joanna is here with us. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I loved this novel and was rambling on about it to everyone I know (laughs) after I read it. So I'm excited to discuss it with you guys. It's not just you. This book is getting so much buzz and it's getting my favorite kind of buzz, which is post-launch buzz because pre-launch buzz is a lot of the whole amazing team at at everyone's publisher that gets people excited about a book coming out. But then the post-launch buzz is a lot of word of mouth and people saying, you have to read this book. I want to talk about it. And as a reader, as a person who loves books, that is exciting to me. Yeah, I think that people are really responding to it in a pretty strong way. I'm definitely, I feel like this book and the plot are the two books that Mm. whenever Mm. I mention them to anyone, even in passing, like I was in Florida last week, in Boca Raton. (laughs) And I was there not on vacation, but for sort of horrible family reasons. But my mother was in the hospital. And because of COVID, I could only be with her a certain limited amount of time each day. So I got to go to the pool. And Mm -hmm. I saw two different people reading the last thing he told me at the pool. And and with both the, the first time, I sort of stopped and smiled at the woman. And she smiled back at me. And I said, I just read that. I loved it. And she was like, oh, my God, isn't it amazing? (laughs) It seems like it's bringing people together. And we sort of talked for a little bit. I love that. Yeah, this is definitely a book that if I saw somebody reading it, I'd be like, what, what do you think? How's it going? What do you, or where are you? Where you, you, you know, where yes. are you in the in the story? Yeah, but I, I agree. And it's just, you know, I had posted about it for Pop Fiction Women and Joanna, you and I then started having little DMs about, about it. And we're all fans of Laura Dave generally, have read all her books. And this was, you know, a departure for her in terms of genre. So we're so excited that, that you could be here to join us. Yes, oh, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you guys for having me. I will say, though, I thought I was a, a fan of Laura Dave, which I am, but I didn't, I don't think I realized this was her sixth novel. I had oh, only yeah. read her books that she had published with Simon and Schuster. So that was 800 Grapes and uh, Hello Sunshine. Uh, Hello Sunshine. Oh, no, and I, I read them fan. all. Yeah. I've also read all her books, and I feel like this book is a departure in that it, 
it does have these kind of thriller aspects. But mm-hmm. I feel like one thing that I actually love about her is that all of her books have a very similar tone and style. Mm-hmm. And you yes. kind of feel each time you read one, you almost feel like you're being reunited with an old friend because mm-hmm. of this kind of similar tone and style. Yes, I yeah. I agree. It is a big departure, it really is. But at the same time, it's still maintained some Laura Daveness, whatever that really is. Yes. It's so, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's so hard. To, I mean, as you said, the tone and, and a lot of her writing is still the same, but, but it's really hard to pin down what that is. But a good writer has it, and she does. Yeah. Maybe because of being a book critic for so long, I feel like I would just, I feel like what that, that Laura Dave style is, is, I mean, all her books are basically written in the present tense, unless I'm misremembering, which I actually usually hate. But oh, in this book, present tense, I love it. That's so interesting. So but, I can't yeah. stand it, but I love it in her <laughs> books. And there are a few other books that I love it in. Uh, I feel like it has lends a kind of flatness to prose that I don't love, but she does it so well. And for, I, I think, the reason she wants you to kind of be very close to her narrator to promote this kind of intimacy with the narrator to make you feel yeah. like you're kind of walking through life with the narrator and and then there's also this very down to earth quality to all of her narrators where you feel like they're being very transparent with you even when they're holding secrets you feel like they're kind of confiding in you so like hello sunshine she is withholding stuff from you and you don't the narrator who is like a kind of how would you describe her she's kind of like a celebrity yeah, yeah. chef chef kind of thing. Yeah. right yeah. and yeah. and she's being blackmailed and her life is falling apart and I feel like that's the book of hers that's the most similar to the last thing he told me but in that book you know her this narrator is this person who trying to think like I suppose she's this is a terrible comparison but she's kind of like Nigella Lawson but younger like she's that kind of person and and like you would think that she would be sort of I don't know like I'm rubbing creme de la mer all over my body and like I just got my eight thousand dollar highlights done yes like yes. on the Concorde or which doesn't exist anymore but whatever on my private right. jet but she's not yeah. like that at all she she feel you feel like she accessible. really is a very accessible yeah exactly yeah. that's so I'm so glad you elaborated that way because when you first said down to earth I was like huh I don't know if I see that these are pretty well to do people not just financially but but also just live in an echelon that most people don't have access to but you're so right it is more about her accessibility and that might be their actual status but they don't play into that at all that's not who these these characters ever are and I think that is consistent from Hello Sunshine and the last thing he told me so yeah Yeah, they're all people who have a lot of integrity and really sort of care and even when they've done bad things like in Hello Sunshine like she hasn't done she's not the best I don't. I shouldn't say she's not the best person, but she's done some bad things, and yeah. you feel sort of like these are people who you might know in real life, and you sort of are with them and interested in their moral twists and turns and what all the things that they're wrestling with. So, should we talk about Hannah? We usually start by talking about our complicated protagonist and Hannah Hall here. So, you know, when we first uh, started exchanging messages about it, Joanna, I thought you had a really 
really interesting take on on Hannah and just sort of the idea that this character and then this book more largely was very subversive and a very feminist look at at motherhood and other things. So I, I wanted to get your thoughts on Hannah first because I had loved what you'd said about that. Yeah. So Hannah Hall is the narrator of the book, which begins, I just feel like we should say, like the style of this book is so wonderful. The book begins in such an incredible way. And can I take one second and read the first two lines of the Definitely. book? Definitely. Please, okay. please. So the first chapter, so all the chapters are named, which is something that I love. I love about Laura Dave. She names her chapters. I know. Yes. Me too. So wonderful. And so, okay, the chapter is called, If You Answer the Door for Strangers, dot, dot, dot. And it begins like this. You see it all the time on television. There's a knock at the front door. And on the other side, someone is waiting to tell you the news that changes everything. And so that sets, like, the... The book just yeah. opens with the plot, yeah. right? And yes. and it like there's no preamble. It just starts no. with someone sort of giving her this, you know, very strange, confusing, news. not necessarily bad, but yeah. very weird news yeah. that she does can't quite make heads or tail of. And basically, her story is she was kind of an orphan, right? She was raised by her grandfather, who yes. was a wood turner. Is that right? Like, yes. yes. Something I had yeah. never heard of before I read this never. book, but it's sort of similar to wood carving. Like he's sort of like a master cabinet maker. And she learned this trade from him. And she herself is now, she sort of walks that line between kind of like artist, craftsman, um, and she's quite well known and successful, like to the extent that she, you know, is like having gallery shows and she has clients all over the country buying, you know, super wealthy clients buying her pieces of furniture from yes. her. And she's married to a man who works for a tech company that is kind of veiled in secrecy, that is working on a product that's like ostensibly going to change everyone's lives and his boss and also his best friend is a kind of Elon Musk sort of figure who's like ultra wealthy and married to like his much younger wife and what have you. So anyway, her husband, the okay, the thing that I found so fascinating and just loved so much about this character in this book is basically Hannah is in her 40s and as already established, she's this very successful artist but also business person. Yes. And who lived on her own in New York, basically for her whole adult life, with mm -hmm. no financial support from family, with no safety net, with nothing. She just kind of created a life for herself, doing what she wanted to do. And she didn't want to get married or have children, but she also felt no societal pressure to do so and no anxiety about her lack of desire for right. a husband and family. Yes. And right. I feel like this is an almost unheard of character in <laughs> fiction, not just contemporary fiction, yeah. all fiction. Mm -hmm. And like you see it a little bit, a little bit in like the sort of high feminist novels of the 70s, like novels like Marilyn French's The Women's Room, which feel mm -hmm. quite dated now, but like it's really, really unusual. We we do live in like a despite things are moving it toward the left but we've been living in a pretty conservative time you know like you saw millennials getting married at like 22 and whatever oh, yeah. and yeah and so i feel like she's such an unusual character and she only marries her husband owen because 
she really loves him and wants to be with him. (laughs) Not because she wants to be married. And he has a teenage daughter or who's, she's not quite a teenager when they get married. I guess she is a teenager when they get married. But she's. to 16, yeah. Yeah, she has like ambivalence about being a stepmother. Like she wants her stepdaughter to like her, but she doesn't feel pressure to be like the super mom or anything like that. Yeah, she's respectful of the fact that Bailey has lost her mother and and there's pain there too. So she's definitely not trying to swoop in and be like, oh, you need a mother, so let me be that for you. But she does want to. I mean, she does embrace Bailey. She really acknowledges that, that this girl is a huge part of Owen's life and that, in fact, makes her... Uh, on probably on some level love him more you're right we don't see a lot of characters in and I think it's because usually that's where if the story is about any of those things the pursuit for a partner the struggle to blend families what have you there's a it's those are situations that are ripe for conflict and most writers I think use them but but I respect that Laura Dave did not take the obvious she was mm-hmm. like, oh, that's the low-hanging fruit. I'm not going to do it. And I, yeah. I want to do it something else. Yeah. I really she, yeah. Particularly the stepmother, stepdaughter relationship. And I've heard her talk about this, that that's typically portrayed as, you know, some toxic relationship or two women, the mother, uh, the new, you know, the new wife and the daughter vying for the love of, you know, the husband and father, and that in this book, she absolutely did not want to do that, and that they both are actually aligned in their love of Owen. Not to say they get along all the time or that the relationship is easy. I mean, she definitely wanted to explore a lot about their relationship together, but she didn't want to, to your point, Corinne, do the whole typical, you know, stepmom, stepdaughter thing. The thing I was liked most or was most interested in and admired really about Hannah and I think I said this to you in my my message, Joanna, was just how much she trusts herself and her instincts throughout all of this. I mean, there's so much information being thrown at her that could cause her to question what she should do, to cause her to question Owen. And throughout, you know, she really believes she knows herself and she believes she knows Owen. And I think we'll talk about this more because I think it's a big theme of it. But I loved that. At every turn, when she had to make a decision, she did what she believed was right and followed her gut, which I thought you don't often see all the time. Yes, yeah, you are so right. Yeah, yeah. Or, or yes. you see that as a problem. Like, what is my gut? What should I do? And she is just, she has a moment of pause, like, let me check in. But then she knows exactly what she believes. And that is, that was, I agree, unique and and aspirational. Yeah. Yeah. And also now that, so, uh, yeah, I loved your take on this. And I realized that it, you're so right. It was like the scales fell from my eyes. It was like, yes, that is what part of what I was responding to and feeling that this book was very subversive and kind of revolutionary. Because I think we are so conditioned to read about characters or be inside the head of characters who are crippled with self-doubt and, you know, problems with self-esteem. And also, you know, in films about women, we're sort of crippled with this or we're sorry, we're we see this all the time or women who are crippled with rage or, you know, in quotes, out of control or and there's nothing wrong with that. But it it was such a relief 
to be inside mm-hmm. the head of a woman who like it's not like she's some kind of monster of ego she's just like a totally normal yeah. person right yeah. but she yes. just knows herself she is you know has just sort of confidence in her judgment and her intelligence and yes. it's crazy that that's kind of a radical yeah exactly um, it rings almost like a like a throwback of an old character except she would never have been the protagonist of this book she would never have been the hero of this book she would have been the wife character so she's brought her front and center without having to dredge up a lot of that stuff in my opinion it's only because that we have so many portrayals I admire Hannah I am not Hannah and I don't need to read a book where I am in the pages. In fact, like I love that you just said a relief. I think that was probably what I was feeling. But I do not relate to her on many levels. And that's okay. Her story was perfectly drawn and such a great thing to see. But I think I only could get to that point because I've had so many other books that show me not every woman is this composed and is this trusting and assured and confident in everything she does. Because if I had, I would have been like, what are you selling me here? But now it feels like a really accurate portrayal of yet another type of woman or a woman in a certain part of her life or another woman in a certain moment of like, this is the strength. I have the strength to do this right now. And I loved that. Yeah, she made me think deeply about myself too. And I, I actually really strongly related to her. I think that I I have a lot of overlap with her, but I have this tendency to tell myself that other people know better. So like one specific mm. thing that I'm thinking about in the book is, you know, she at various points, she kind of comes into contact with people in positions of power, like a federal yes. marshal. And like they're, yes. she's constantly coming into contact with men who are telling her, what's what and what yes. to do and yes. and she you know sort of absorbs what they're telling her and makes a decision about whether yeah. or not that's the right thing to do and i think yes. that i and so many women have this tendency to be like oh the federal marshal said blah so that's what i have to do oh right yeah. she's yeah. right and exactly. i think so much of us like sort of squ- so many of us squelch our instincts Mm. And think, oh, well, this, you know, the policeman knows better, what have you, or whoever knows better. And so often, like, and that's sort of what happens in the book is that she actually knows better than most everyone. Because she kind of knows the whole story and has the whole perspective. And she also, they're all kind of trying to solve this mystery involving her husband, but she's the one who actually knows her husband. And they keep telling her, well, you don't really know him, but she knows that she does. And she never really doubts his essential character. Exactly. Even you, you, the reader kind of do, you're like at times, right. You're like, Oh, she's kind of being too naive here. And, but she never doubts him. She never thinks like, Oh, he's a murderer or whatever. Right. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. she's also not I love the way you said it because she's also not defensive. She's not you know and there's and there are moments in there where she realizes that she maybe sounds defensive like when she's talking to Jake or she's like am I wrong? Am I crazy? When she's talking to Carl and she's like, well, her or Carl's wife and Carl's wife doesn't know everything he's doing and so she's like, am I the same thing and I just don't know it. But every time so every time she really takes it in and then says, Nope. 
nope, I'm right. <laughs> like yeah. I, I know really deeply in my gut that I'm just right about this. And I don't know all the details, but I know that this is true. And that that uh, that very much impressed me. I have to agree. Yeah, with that. yeah, yeah. That was definitely what the, the biggest draw for me with Hannah. That that aspect, aspect of, her. of it. Yeah. I, what and uh, just another thing to add. I my favorite thing about her was neither of those things. Although now I, n- I love those aspects as well. But mine was that she was whole, but not fixed. And I loved that. She knew which parts of herself were non-negotiable, like her career. She was not going to stop doing what she was doing. She loved it. It was part of who she is, her independence. But then also which part were, as she calls them, just the details, like yeah. living in New York City. She did. She was like, okay, I'll, I'll move. Becoming a mom through marriage, which she had not chosen to do for herself otherwise, and then taking on Bailey, you know, through Owen, she didn't seem to have any issue with that either. So... She was a whole complete human being, but she wasn't fixed in who she was because otherwise someone else, she would have looked for someone in New York, someone who didn't have kids and wanted to have a certain lifestyle. And she was like, no, this is, this is what's non-negotiable and this is what's up for what I'm open to change. And I, I don't, I loved that, that, that I feel like is something that's so hard to nail that, yeah, that completeness, but also willingness to come together with someone else I really loved that I wanted to read a little something on page 71 that I think really nails this Laura Dave really nails this for Hannah and she says they didn't seem to understand about me what Owen understood from the beginning I had no problem being on my own my grandfather had raised me to depend on myself my problems came when I tried to fit myself into someone else's life especially when that meant giving up a part of myself in the process So I waited until I didn't have to, until it felt like someone fit effortlessly. Or maybe that's too easy. Maybe it's more accurate to say that what was required to be with Owen didn't feel like effort. It felt like details. I love that about Hannah. I I think it was consistent and solid throughout. But were you all convinced that Owen was the love of her life? Oh boy. Okay. I, I think like so. Wasn't. So let me. I feel like this is I like wasn't. when you asked me. Okay, if like Jake and Mallory you, were really in love in Twenty Eight Summers, it's like a big well, question. Here. Well, okay, it is a big question. But and let me say one little other piece. So I thought Dave, Laura Dave walked a fine line between creating a character that was whole, like I just talked about, and also a character who was drawn to or found convenience in someone else who kept people at arm's length, and mm-hmm. Owen sort of was. I I think she really was firmly on the side of she was a whole person and not just wanted to live side by side with someone. They really did merge their lives. But it was a it was a fine line because of her backstory. This was a woman who didn't want to lose herself in in a relationship, was never going to lose herself in a relationship. And we get a little bit of that with Jake was Owen just a little more detached and so that was why it worked or did it really actually work I I I don't think it's answered and it's certainly not a central question it's just one a question I had and I'm asking I don't think it took away from the book at all but I'm I'm curious where you guys thought Joanna you think you weren't convinced you weren't sure as a novelist from a craft standpoint it can be challenging this novel's written in the first person, right? So we only see Owen yes. through Hannah's exactly. eyes. Exactly. 
Yeah. And only in flashback. And she's thinking back usually on these kind of pivotal moments in their relationship. And of course, she's trying, she's sifting through them, trying to figure out, you know, what happened? What was he holding back from yeah, me? Clued. Yeah, clue. So he, I mean, and I say this not as, if I were writing a review of the book, I would bring this up, not as a negative comment about the book, but a way of wrestling with what Laura Dave does in this book, which is to say that he's not really a fully fleshed out character. Because of the way it's written. Now, she did say on a podcast that at one point she had written it with Owen's point of view. There were, I don't know if the chapters were alternating or whatever. So Owen was a much bigger part of it in prior drafts, she said. And then when this all unlocked for her and it was really the motherhood angle and the protect her, like the line, he just, his his parts, it really didn't matter anymore. It was this, it was their journey. It was it was Bailey and Hannah's journey. And so, so because of that, I just think like you're saying, I agree with both of you that I didn't feel it either, but I think it was very hard given the struck, the way this book was written and structured to really, it, like Owen isn't a central character and he is kind of detached. So yeah, I'm with you. I didn't, I didn't feel it either, but I don't think it was possible given the way this was written. Yeah. And I wonder if it was intentional on Laura's part in that if she didn't keep us at arm's length from him, we, we wouldn't be, because we wouldn't be guessing throughout the book, like what what did he do? What is what is he keeping from Hannah? You know, if we were closer to him, it would sort of, the book would be very, very different. It would be more just about Hannah discovering what Owen did and what secrets he was keeping from her. And we, the reader, would be more privy to them, right? And more privy to who yes. he was. And the way that she's written it, it's much more suspenseful. It, there's a way in which he almost is just, I don't mean this to be as harsh as it sounds, but he's a little bit of like a kind of cardboard cutout of like... Love of my life. Tech yeah. pro sort of guy, yes. you know? Yes. And, yes. and he does all the like perfect romantic things. You know, he's like, I'll build you your studio. And, yeah, you know, yes. he's... Uh, yes. so So in keeping, in sort of just presenting those... Moments And there are, of course, moments that are not as sort of picture perfect, right? Or like cinematic, you know, where he becomes very, she sees that he is distant from her and he has these odd responses to things like, no, I'm not going to Texas. And she's like, why are you so weirded out by Texas? And um, like, what is wrong with you? And so we see these moments where he has these kind of lapses, but the way that she structured the book, they serve to make us, the reader, it's very sort of well-crafted, I think, because they serve to make us think like, hmm, was he, is he really like, who knows? Like, was he part of like a terrorist organization in his youth? Right. And did he oh, like yeah. blow up? You know, was he like, I don't know. I Right before I read this, I had read Eat the Document. I'm not sure if you guys have no. read that. Mm-mm. Okay, you absolutely no. should. It's it's actually one of the sort of greatest American novels of the 20th century, but it's about these two members of an ultra left-wing group in the early 70s. It's sort of like the Weathermen, you know, or the Symbionese Liberation Front, um, okay. a Symbionese Liber- Liberation Army, and they decide to... You don't, you don't actually know what they do until the very end, but they 
decide to do something to sort of take like this big action and then it goes horribly awry and they have to split up and go into hiding and under assumed names and you follow this couple and they basically have to split up and never see each other again and it's so fascinating so because of I think because of reading that right around the same time I was thinking wait did he do something like this did he like blow up the library at the University of Texas yes yes I mean she she gives you little clues but really just lets your imagination go wild with what has he done and she feels so certain that he wouldn't have done this unless he had to so what is the had to what what does that mean so should we move to killer quotes my first one is definitely something that is I think signature Laura Dave and will echo back to a lot of the things that we were talking about before it's on page 266 she says this is the thing about good (laughs) about good and evil This is the thing about good and evil. They aren't so far apart, and they often start from the same valiant place of wanting something to be different. Mm -hmm. And I was I had that one too. I love when we pick the same one. Don't worry, I have more though, because I know sometimes we do this. (laughs) That's such a good one. Yeah. I also marked that section. uh, (laughs) Just on my own, like just for no reason. Uh, Like I I mark up all dog ear. Yeah. 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 and it is it's that kind of nuance that she plays with throughout this whole book, but just to have it there in black and white, especially towards the end, I it just really packed a really great punch for me. I was like, yes, yes. Yeah, wanting something to be different. Oh, I love that one too. What Mine actually, we, we sort of have touched on a lot of this too. So this was on page 144. She says, it's, it, it's sort of this question that, comes throughout like you know how do you we're trying to figure out how well do you really know a person of yes, course and that's, it that's says all mine there's a lot of quotes like that yeah. but yeah. she this one says if they lie to you like he did who are you then who is he the person you thought you knew your favorite person starts to disappear a mirage unless you convince yourself the parts that matter are still true the love was true his love was true because if it isn't the other option is that it was all a lie. And what are you supposed to do with that? What are you supposed to do with any of this? How do you put the pieces together so he doesn't disappear completely? And then, you know, related to that, because like you said, that that kind of comes throughout, like her trying to figure out, well, what parts are true and what parts matter, despite all this unknown about what he is maybe or what he's done. And then she has that chapter, of one of those very short chapters at 245, that's called Everyone Should Take Inventory. Again, back to how much we love those those chapter names. But she just mm-hmm. then lists all the things she knows to be true about him. Mm-hmm. And aren't these the things that matter, right? She just goes through all these things. And I just love this idea that that can't can it be that he's more than one thing? Could he be all these things she knows and loves? And also a criminal or a fraudster or whatever, because we don't know. And I just thought that question throughout was so interesting because I don't yeah. know who who, yeah, and- who who are we? Who, who are the people we love? Are they yeah. just the collection of the things we love about them? Yeah. And I have another one. Same, same exact theme on 276. When she ex- admits it, Owen isn't who I thought he was, at least not in the details. There are parts I wish didn't exist, parts I can't look away from now. 
in one way or another, this is the deal we all sign on. We all sign when we love someone for better or for worse. It's the deal we have to sign again and again to keep that love. We don't turn away from the parts of someone we don't want to see. However quickly or long it takes us to see them, we accept them if we are strong enough or we accept them enough to not let the bad parts become the entire story. Story. Because there is this too. The details are not the whole story. And she wrestles with it and she leaves so much room for nuance, but she also very clearly answers it for Hannah. And she just believes that the things that she knows are enough. And she's unshakable in that. And that I could relate to and I loved both. Completely. Yes. Me too. That, yeah. That's that's all I have for those. Yeah. Yeah. We have this segment, as you know, Joanna, What's Your Damage, Heather, where we <laughs> talk about <laughs> the character's damage, you know. And sometimes, honestly, in a book or movie, TV, we're like... There's not much damage or not much to discuss. You know, it depends. Here, you know, I think with Hannah, she has the damage that uh, is one of our favorite damage areas of damage to discuss, which is some mommy issues. Because as you mentioned early on, I mean, she was essentially orphaned. Her mother left her. She didn't die, though. I mean, she just left her and she was raised by her grandfather. But there is, there is, I was going to use this as one of my killer quotes, but I was like, oh, this is just so perfect, apt for her her damage she says on on 42 to 43 yes I have this uh, yes it's so good yeah Um, uh so she says she was lamenting how she missed these things with Owen right like the details like how did I miss this and she says partially it's because I've spent my life needing to see I've spent my life paying incredibly close attention when my mother left for good I didn't see it coming I missed it I missed the finality of that departure and then she goes on and on. And then she says, it meant she was lost to me. That's the part I missed. My mother didn't care enough not to be lost to me. That's the part I've swore to myself I would never miss again. And I, I, that's what's really getting her here, right, about Owen. She's like, this is not me. Like, after my mother left, I became a person who needed to see and... That I thought was so interesting. I mean, I we're not somehow in damage. I end up on the couch, as I like to say. <laughs> somehow, shocker, I'm back on the couch. But I, Corinne knows this. I talk about this all the time. That there are people who sort of always see, right? They see the big picture. They they see the gestalt of things. And then there are people who are more like me. I don't see very well. I'm more like a A to B to C, like whatever task is in front of me, I can do it. And then I'm like reading this thinking, so is that the people who can see, is it like born out of necessity? Like, like it was for her, like because of what happened to her, she ended up just basically having to have her eyes wide open more. I don't know, but I, I, I was very interested in this aspect of her damage. That's such an interesting question. I was thinking as I was preparing for this conversation, I was thinking about this section of the last thing he told me because I just read this book that basically it's as if like the last thing he told me were instead of taking place when Hannah is in her 40s and this whole chain of events happened, it's as if it took place during the year that her mother left. And the book is called When She Comes Back and it's a memoir um, by a writer named Ronit Plank who I had not been familiar with before and basically her mother when she is very little leaves her to join this cult 
like abandons her and her sister and it covers her whole childhood and it's about what it's like to be abandoned by your mother and it's so heart-wrenching and you know and her life is okay it's like she has a father you know the trauma she suffers are kind of like like what a therapist would call like little t traumas like nothing horrible horrible happens to her but that abandonment is so profound that it Mm. really shakes her to her core and her whole life as a child is lived through the lens of her mother having abandoned her right her mother yeah like her mother loving this guru more than her and her little sister and her little sister is tiny when her mother leaves it's horrible she's like basically a top like she's like three or something and and so i was it's the reason that i was thinking about this section of the book is because so possibly more than you need to know but i read this book ronit plank's book because partially i actually haven't even seen this documentary i am a little bit obsessed with cults because my my husband's brother is in one and his whole family is in one and they have been for like 20 plus years maybe actually like 30 years so there's that but but i really read it because my own new book is it's a lot about my childhood and i don't normally like to read books about children and so i actually after i signed the contract for the book was sort of trying to figure out like how structurally to mitigate the section, these sort of childhood sections. And I came up with this framework of like, it takes place with the me now, you know, and, and kind of goes back and forth between adult me and child me. Cause I thought who's going to want to read a book about someone's childhood. And then this book is all about her childhood. And Mm. I, it's transfixing. Like, I didn't feel like, oh, I don't want to read about an abandoned child anymore. I felt like, tell me more. I need to know more. Yes. I can't, yes. like, I want this book to never end. And yes. so anyway, okay. So this is all a very long way of saying that one of the things that is so just mesmerizing about this book is that she remembers her childhood and constructs her childhood in such profound detail and it reads like a novel it it really feels like you're reading a novel like you're sort of in these moments with her and she remembers everything like what people wore and what the tile in the bathroom looked like and what this street in newark new jersey looked like and i the point is that i think you're right i think that when something so earth-shattering happens to you as a small child you become a person who has to be on guard at all times. It's almost like your fight or flight response kicks in and you have to pay attention a million times more than anyone else. And so all of these details are imprinted on your brain kind of, you know? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, yes. That's what I I absolutely agree with that too. And especially something like abandonment or, you know, addiction, alcoholics in, in a house as a child, it's not a one-time thing. So of course you're looking out, you know, the abandoned, maybe the abandoned child's looking like, is, is this parent going to come back? The child of an addict is looking like, is this going to happen again? And what, what, what phase are we in? And you almost can't forget because as soon as you do, you're reminded of it and like, okay. So it, it's not even like one event. It is a constant event that shapes your 
perspective, as you just so beautifully put for that memoir. Yeah. And she says on 280, my mother never tried to fight for her family. She never tried to fight for me. That defines her. Apparently, I'm willing to give up everything to do the opposite for Bailey. One way or another, that will define me. And I thought that was like, yeah, like, you know what? That was on her. She left us and that's Mm -hmm. her legacy. But I don't have to have that same story. Like I will be defined by doing the opposite for Bailey. And I thought that was her. I I, I thought that was that that's really her journey here. I have a quote from from where she first realizes exactly what, where she gets to with that. On 147, she says, this is what when I understand in a flash what I've been doing wrong with her, meaning Bailey, what I've been doing wrong in how I've been trying to connect with her. I thought if I were nice enough, sweet enough, she'd understand that she could count on me. But that's not how you learn you can count on someone. You learn it in the moments when everyone's too tired to be sweet, too tired to try hard. You learn it by what they do for you then yeah and so, I had that one too yeah, I love that yeah and that's uh, again where she sees maybe why she was trying to win Bailey over so hard and and really trying and then realizing that that's not exactly that was her that was her own damage trying hard making her the pasta doing the things mm-hmm. that she hoped would win Bailey over and really, all she needs to do is wait till everybody's guard is down, and then show up in the show up for that person. And that's how you learn yeah. to trust someone, and, and that you can. It's count like on when them. she show, figures it out at the end to have a sweater for her on the plane. Mm-hmm. Like you know, like yes. it's like I loved that moment. She was like, "Oh, I got this now. Now I know." Like yeah. she's know, cold, and I packed her sweater. Moments. Yeah. Yes. That like the the first plane ride when she realizes that she's messed up and doesn't have a sweatshirt for her. Yeah, exactly. And then she does in the end. And I think, you know, as a person with children, there are so many moments when you do kind of mess up. And that's just part of being a parent. But when you're a step parent, it's almost like the bar is so much higher for you. Like... Mm like you're kind of judged as someone who's in a blended family like the your kid your stepkids kind of anything that any misstep that you make they take as a sign that you don't know you don't care you're not really uh yeah 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 Yeah. oh absolutely yeah but like if if you're the mom and you forget the sweatshirt you're like oh i forgot the sweatshirt here take mine like (laughs) right it's not a sign of anything you're just like exhausted (laughs) or if it's a yeah, or if it's a sign, it's a sign that you're you like you're a bad mom in that moment. But then the the step parent is like a bad human being, like uh, an aff- yeah, an aff- it's like it's a one step beyond. You're like an such an offense. Like you don't care, you don't love me, you don't even want me. It's so far beyond a mistake or a, or an omission. It is, it's telling of, of it's like so an intentional more. act. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes, That's so of true. course. None of those things are actually true, but they are how it's perceived, I think. Yeah. 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 So was there uh, other damage anyone had besides No, that was it. Mommy? I think her damage was pretty clear on this one. Yeah. All right. So let's go to what she said, which is one of our favorite sections. What she said, Laura Dave, she is 
a cancer. Did you look this up? Oh, I oh, did. We're so, yes. we're so out of practice. I almost forgot, but she's a cancer. And I did. She loves to talk about what a homebody she is. So okay. I was like, ah, she's a cancer Total for real. Cancer. But yeah. Yes. We talk about it all the time of the second act, but I feel like hers is a little bit more of a pivot. Either way, I adore women who push themselves out of their comfort zone to try something different. And that even what that means is different for everyone. We've talked about it with Joanna. We've talked about it with Stephanie Dandler. Lisa Tadeo, Phoebe Waller-Bridge. We've never specifically talked about it, but that is, she was trying desperately to be an actress. She went to RADA. She, that was, she wanted to be a star. Yeah. And, and writing came because she couldn't get anything to, to be in. Same thing with, I mean, Destroy You, Michaela Cole. These pivots yeah. where people like only get better is just some of my favorite things yes. to, to read about and talk about. And it's, and it all starts with getting out of your comfort zone to try something different. Laura Dave is now the new poster child for success and pivot. I think, right. This is her sixth novel, her first thriller, her first New York times bestseller list or bestseller. And it went to number one first week out I mean, went to number one it's still on the list many books these days where there are so many books that come out stay on for one week and then come make have to make room for a whole new crop of people the fact that mm -hmm. she has stayed on is incredible and as you said she's adapting this book for apple it will star julia roberts she's doing it with her husband josh singer who you've mentioned, but really, I, I feel like we need to say, first of all, she's no slouch, very smart, went to Penn, graduate school at UVA. He went to Yale. He got a <laughs> uh, Harvard M MBA and JD, business school and law school at the same time. And then <laughs> so has not only been nominated more than once for Academy Awards and Golden Globes, one for Best Original Screenplay, as you mentioned, for Spotlight. I mean, yeah. these two are- What about a- Talk about a dynamic duo, Talk man. about a dynamic oh. duo. And talk about a woman who is whole and in a partnership, which is something I love to yes. see. Yes. This, uh, Laura Dave seems to really embody that. Yes, I yes. Love I love that. I wonder what his sign is. I didn't look him up. <gasps> I didn't either. Oh, good mm. question. We do like to know compatibility. <laughs> exactly. We're really getting into it here. I feel like I've teased this for you about the history of this book, which is kind of what I wanted to talk about because to me, the journey that this book took is so fascinating to me. And it's just sort of, I don't know, an example of, of tenacity or not giving up on something, but, but knowing when not to give up is what's so interesting to me because she got the idea for this book in 2003. I'm like, oh my God. When she, yeah, when she was watching the Enron trials, she was obsessed with the Enron trial, she said. And she <sighs> watched an interview with Linda Lay, who was the wife of the Enron CEO, Kenneth Lay. And she was on national TV and she said, my husband's done nothing wrong. He's not guilty. And she thought immediately, like, who, what if this you know, what if I wrote about a woman who found herself sort of newly married to someone that the world is telling her is so paradoxical to her understanding of who he is, you know? So the world's telling you one thing, but you believe you know him. And she started, she got the idea then, but she didn't actually start writing till 2012 because she was writing other books or whatever, but she came back to the idea. And then for like 15 plus years, she did eight to 
10 different drafts of it, tens of thousands of words. And then she just always knew there was just something missing, like a, like the, an angle, like whatever. And, and again, she just kept writing other books or whatever. And it was finally something her husband, who is the screenwriter, and he said to her, you know, what if he just looked at her and he's like, what if Owen was a bad guy? And she was like, she said, well, first of all, I was like, that's ridiculous. The dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> but she goes, of course, then I went back to my computer and that made her open the file. And and that was, you know, again, 2018 now. And just that thought got her back to thinking about it. And since and in the intervening time, she had also had a child. And so sort of this the that sort of solidified the motherhood piece for her and then this idea of protect her came and just from that this is what's so interesting to me just like one little thing and it opened up the whole story for her and she went back to it and you know now this is the book not that her other books weren't successful but this is the book that's the Reese pick and hits the New York Times bestseller list so that's just crazy to me and she said What's left of it is there's probably fifteen to twenty thousand words in this book that are have been in there throughout. Everything else has just been, you know, dumped on the floor, you know, and that that's what she thinks, you know, you have to be willing to just, you know, get rid of stuff, right? I mean, you know, you have to not, you know, so you have to be willing to throw it out and 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 just keep going. But I just think it's so interesting that you'd have this and this and keep know when to come back or, or how these things just just evolve and then this becomes your biggest book i love that i it's interesting i'm actually writing a piece that touches on some of this right now there's such a kind of professionalization of writing and such an emphasis on productivity and you have these campaigns like national novel writing month and right now right. there's this thing going on called a thousand words of summer where you're supposed to write a thousand words every day and like every you know friends are supposed to get together and text each other when they write their thousand words and i just it's funny i was just also in new york and i met with my editor and my new i just switched agents and and what they were both saying to me was exactly what I feel, which is that who do you want to be as a writer? Do you want to be whoever who turns out a novel every year? And maybe those novels are even successful, but they're not literature for the ages. Like, will they be read in 10 years? Who knows? And or do you want to be, you know, Donna Tartt and produce a novel every 15 years or whatever, or 10 years <laughs> and have it be a truly great novel? What you're saying to me is about Laura is so aligned with the way I think about a book developing that the more twists and turns you take with it almost like the the more you brush up against the idea and keep questioning it and interrogating it and trying to figure out who are your characters what is the story here what is the real story here the better a book, whether it's a novel or a memoir or short stories or whatever it is, the better it's going to be. And certainly there are books that are produced very, very quickly that are amazing. But I do think that often for a book to have a lot of depth, you need to wrestle with it rather than kind of just jump right. to the easiest thing. Rather, Or 
I guess I just have such a, not to sound like so like the Lower East Side person that I, overland person <laughs> that I am, but I just feel like right now there's this very capitalist kind of way yeah. of looking at writing that for me, it's, it's, I feel like it's really damaging. Like writing is not making widgets. Like it's not like, yes, you do have to sit down. I don't even know what a widget is, but anyway, you yeah. do have to sit down and do it every day, yeah. but it's not, it doesn't sitting down and writing a thousand words every day. That's just typing. That doesn't yes. mean that you're writing a great book. Right. right. And yeah. like living with an idea for almost 20 years, like Laura Dave did often can mean that you're producing your best book ever yeah. because it's so full like this book is so wise you know and it feels yeah. so intentional and thought out I feel like there's not a word out of place and <gasps> That's, it yeah. makes total sense that it took her that long to figure it out yes yeah the only one thing I wanted to note was that she said that she thought it was a thriller rooted in hope which I kind mm -hmm. of loved. And she talked about yes. how usually thrillers are rooted in revenge or, you know, getting the bad guys. And this idea of like thriller plus hope is a little bit of a take on that yin and yang that I love, that we love here, mm -hmm. right? Because usually what I've, what has developed before and what I've been drawn to before is this kind of dark rom-com right where you have a, a woman who's slightly damaged but really wants to find love and and heals herself in the process and then is kind of ready for love or ready for that real step of love and this is a different combination of that dark plus light right the the mm -hmm. thriller rooted in hope I don't know I think I can really get behind that but no I know when she said that I was like oh what? I like that yeah what is that because I'm not a real thriller person yeah I do I am and I'm a dark thriller person which is so funny uh, yeah, because I like I'm dark rom-coms I am a dark thriller person and but yet you're you liked or were yeah. this idea of thriller with hope, I, thriller with some light. I know. I, it was something I had not thought of, even after I finished the book. So I was kind of very happy to hear her say it. It feels like something interesting that I want to, I, I, I hope more people might do something like that after the success of this book. I'm curious as to what every iteration of that, because we've seen so many iterations of kind of the dark or, or damaged, slightly damaged rom-com. I, I hope we get to see yeah. more of this. Well, she's gonna not gonna. I don't want to say go back to her old books. I'm not even sure what what are those women's fiction, whatever we're yeah. calling them. But she, yes. but she's also not. I think she said it's her next one is more suspense. She said like mystery, but there's like family secrets or something. I don't know. But she also might write a sequel to this. So it sounds as if she's got more than one thing in the works, which sounds like she always she does. Always based does. On, <laughs> I, I mean, love it. Love yeah. it. Yeah. I want to talk about our takeaway which for me is a question. And it is, would you have done what Hannah did? I mean, first of all, oh. I think what Hannah did was, was exactly what Hannah should have done. The character played out exactly the way it should have, not predictably, but consistent and, and from a craft writing perspective, that was exactly what Hannah should have done. I thought it was pretty badass that she you know, confronted Nicholas and she, as Joanna, you've already pointed out, she disregarded some of the well-meaning but misdirected advice of, of some of these men in authority and she knew exactly what she needed to do to broker this deal. 
um, we can talk about whether we think Owen sucks for having <laughs> for having done yeah. this, but but I want to know for I, I'm very curious. Would you have made the same choice as Hannah, which is mm-hmm. I guess broker a deal so that you and Bailey stay safe and cut yourself off from him potentially, honestly, forever you to, in your mind forever, forever. It's interesting. Ooh. Like, okay, so this really gets back to your question of, is Owen really the love of her life? Yes. Yes. That's what I was going to say. When we we talked about it earlier on, I was going to say, did it have to be this way for people to be okay with the ending? And so now you're, you're, yeah, so relate those oh two, that's such go a good question yes yeah. so right like yes that's what yes. i was gonna say earlier but i don't oh think you were gonna get yes. to the ending part right if we were all invested in owen and their relationship and if we knew him better and knew their love better then we'd hate the ending because we'd be like wait then she doesn't get to be with him ever again in life so Ugh. did she have to kind of make it more detached and us to not really feel that much about Owen, so then we're okay with what she does at the end because we're like, eh, Owen Schmoen. Right? I don't know. That's yeah. that's how I thought. It I feel worked. the exact yeah. opposite. I okay. feel like if I had believed that he was the love of her life for sure, I, I mean, not that I don't believe it, I just wasn't quite 100% sure. If I had felt it in my bones, I would have thought, oh my God, she just made this incredibly selfless act and that is beyond uh. me. If I feel a little, I'm like, eh, did she lose much? Really? Eh, you know, I, we'll get to this. But she's got some other options on the table. I mean, is this so bad? I, I think I would have felt more gravity to her choice if I really believed uh, I that wholeheartedly. Again, I believed it. I'm not saying I don't. I'm just saying... Not in you my. You would have felt more. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, yeah. so. I think so. I guess in the book, she keeps telling us that he is, you know, the love yes. of her life or what have you. Yeah, but yeah. yes, don't really feel it because there's the a same sh- not. Way. She's not doing the show. Don't tell her. You were just being told, but we don't see it. Yeah. Yes. And feel and it. We don't totally feel it, and I mean, maybe the truth is that you someone who is keeping their entire past secret from you even if it is well-intentioned can't be the love of anyone's life because you don't Ooh, really I know that person that. Know that. <gasps> yes that was part of their life from you so how that's... can that person be your great love it's that's not what possible. i was gonna ask mm-hmm. yeah, yeah mm-hmm. it's just not possible so i, I don't know I, I feel like Laura Dave is like kind of a genius, you know, and that yes. she, mm-hmm. I think we're, we're meant to sort of have these doubts about Owen and, uh, you know, throughout the book doubts about like whether he did something really terrible and then doubts, you know, as the book goes on about like, uh, is there a relationship all it's cracked up to be? Like, I don't know. Cause I, like, I think about myself and like my husband, Kirill, who is undoubtedly the love of my life. Like I, you know. The one that got away. He was the one that got away, exactly. (laughs) And uh, like I could not live without him. And if if I were in this situation, I don't know that I would broker this deal. I don't know what I would do. I don't, but I, the idea of being without him again after being without him for so long, I feel like. I feel like I'm going to cry just even thinking about it. See, okay, so we know your answer. There's no way you'd broker this deal. Yeah. You'd, you'd do whatever 
deal or arrangement would be that you could be together and that that's it full stop yeah so, yes yeah. but i would never be with an owen guy or maybe right. i wouldn't right he's like, he's like the guy who does like the grand gesture as i've gotten older i realized like that's not really the important thing the no. important thing is like as laura dave says the person who is there for you when you are exhausted and you're like lost driving around who knows where in the dark trying to find your hotel or like and you're all like about to start screaming at each other like that's the person that you won't broker some crazy deal for like the person who's there for you like and doesn't get upset with you when you snap at them because you're really hungry, you know? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't have done this. I wouldn't have done this. I would have rather, it's an impossible choice as a, a good writer will set up at the end of a story, but I would have chosen to be in hiding or be on the run, whatever it took to be with my husband versus and, and children. Even knowing that that's uprooting their lives, that's screwing them up, I would rather do that than to broker a deal, deal where I was safe and they were safe, but we were never, ever with him again. I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't Okay, do it. but this is getting sort of to my takeaway, which really wasn't much of a takeaway, but... Um, <laughs> but, but, but you'll see, but you, you'll see, because... She wanted to write a story, and she makes this very clear, where the woman is the hero of her own story, right? So that was what she set out to write. She said that's like basically all she knew about the story and the prologue, which by the way, in the millions of years that she was writing this book, that prologue has never changed. But if you want to write that story, it can't end, right, with her with the guy or being in, or, or I love him so much I can't leave him, right? It, it Doesn't it have to end with she's on her own and she's fine with it? That's like how she had to end it. And then I just thought, and is that, this is very cynical of me, but I'm just like, and this is, is this why it's a Reese pick? It's like if she had, if she had done it differently and ended up with the guy because she's so in love with him, which by the way, I think in real life, you guys are wonderfully expressing why that would could happen. And, and, and I think that's what she wanted to do here. Yeah, and that's why the book is so awesome. Yes. yes. Right? Like, is that why we love it, though? Because she didn't say, oh, but Owen was the love of my life and I have to do whatever I can to to keep us together. Then is she choosing a man? I mean, I'm just... I just don't understand the notion that it is a contradiction to be a whole, fully developed woman and also be in a partnership yeah. and also I love in, that. In, and in that love. was my question. Yeah. Can't well yeah. can we can we have both of those I mean and I, still I, have everyone hold it up and go, Oh my God, look at this story. Because I think that's why I one of the reasons people yes, are but yes. It's a good Does Reese pick that story? <laughs> if you think about like the hero's journey, for instance, like which it seems right. like from what you're saying is a little bit her model in this book. You know, she really does. I mean, she goes on a little literal journey, obviously. And there is almost like a kind of like Greek play. Odyssey, yes. Yes. Like Mm -hmm. she's, you know, discovering that her spouse is not who he was. And, you know, her eyes, like she was blinded and now she can see and what have you. But she goes on, you know, a, a kind of 
journey in the way we think of it in fiction, like in that she is a different person at the end of the book. It's not just that she discovers things about Owen and, you know, the truth is revealed to her about the life she's been living. It's that she discovers things about herself. She discovers what is most important to her. And what is most important to her is that this poor girl, her stepdaughter, who is actually, I shouldn't call her a poor girl because that makes her sound pathetic. And she's not pathetic. She's a very strong kid. But she is a girl who lost her mother. And we now know, tragically, and had a father who, you know, had been deceiving her. And that had that is a trauma. And she discovers that she she's the book starts and she is a person who's not really super interested in being a mother, but she's trying her best. And by the end of the book, what is most important to her is that she be a mother to this girl. Yeah. It's a it's like mm-hmm. a complete 180. And I think that she is a happier and better person for understanding that about herself. Yeah. Wow. That I'm so glad you said that and elaborated because that was one of my issues was I didn't feel like she changed from beginning to end because I was looking through the lens of she is this strong woman who who has always been taught to rely on herself, who does not need anyone to take care of her. She's independent and and has zero anxiety about it at the beginning and at the end is exactly the same. But no, you're you're entirely right through the lens of having to give all of that up as a sacrifice as a mother would do. That is a huge change in herself. Absolutely. I see that now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we also see her, if you think about it, we see her having fun with Bailey. Like they (laughs) – in, they actually enjoy being together, and yeah. she likes being with her. She likes go, like they go on this quest together, and they you know kind of solve this mystery and uncover these things, and they actually genuinely like each other. So like once they're kind of in this crazy stressful situation where we're actually you know where Owen is no longer with them, and it's just the two of them on their own, they realize like okay wait we genuinely get along and like each other. And it was kind of like Owen who was perhaps causing any tension between them, not on purpose, but just no, right. his but... existence. And and I think that's one of the reasons that the ending feels very natural and inevitable. And that's how it felt to me. Because yes, you see her sort of enjoying being with Bailey and loving her. Like you kind of see her falling in love with Bailey, basically. Yes. And yes. it's like a romance in which she falls in love with her stepdaughter in an aromantic way. And yes. like yes. And, and yeah. vice versa. But like, and vice yes. versa. It's yes. Yes. both ways. Yeah. 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 Listen, the last line of the book is Bailey calling her mom, right? That that yes. that's I know. How oh she my god, to I end it. That. I mean Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. she's. She said she envisioned the book as like a call and an answer, and you get the answer at the end. I mean, the whole what she calls her mom. I mean, it's. I really like that ending. I line. love the ending. I really did. That you see them both kind of thriving, and you know that they're thriving because of their relationship. Yeah. And yeah. Yes. That they sort of satisfy a need in each other. And I sort of got the, I really did feel like she was happier and more settled at the end of the book than at the beginning. And maybe this was 
what she, you know what she needed was she needed Bailey she needed this kind of relationship she needed to take care of another person maybe yeah okay so who won the book okay so for me what won the book was the the pacing the mm, propulsive yes. plot oh pacing that's what saved this book for me honestly the wanting to turn the page we talk about it a lot it is a skill it is not easy to do i didn't really i didn't chime in earlier when you said you didn't really relate to hannah i didn't either so like i i it could have been one of those things where i might have put it down right. but there was no way to put no. this down yes there's not like one extra word it is it moves and moves and moves i that that to me was what what wanted for me definitely that that that's that a pace one. that's a good one and it is so true and i don't it's such an art i don't know how she does it the pacing she is, says that's what she asks herself how do when i do she this writes any book oh. well no that she that the two keys to writing a good novel and she says this even if it's not a, a thriller but okay. obviously i think with a thriller it's sort of more built into it but when someone picks it up she doesn't want them to be able to put it down mm. and she's just constantly asking herself would you be able to put this down? And and I guess that means so at the end of every chapter, is she thinking, would they be able to put this down? Right. Or, or would they, you know? Yeah. And it worked here because yeah. yeah. that's it. And by the way, everyone I know who's read it said, that, oh my God, I couldn't put it down. I couldn't put it down. So yes. Oh, absolutely. She, she did it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, she also said the other key though is she wants people to feel good at the end. Mm, of a book. Did I feel good at the end? Yeah. I don't know what that I, means, really. That was a little nebulous yeah. to me. Did I, and did I feel good at the end of this? I don't think I, I don't did. Know. I told you. I, I, I think, don't think I would have so done either. differently. I, 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 I agree that Hannah, this was the right ending for Hannah. I think she wrote yeah. the book well, but I don't, I, I didn't want that ending for myself. <laughs> right, 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 right. I, mean, I know. So who won it so for you? Who, or what? So who won it for me is really wrapped up in Crystal Ball. And I know we were, uh. yeah. We were keeping these short, so I didn't go. I did not do one of my usual because we knew we had a guest and that, and that it would go long anyway. But for me, Jake won this book. Oh, yeah. oh, dude, right? I, that is a whole area I was gonna get into, but I thought, yeah. is this just to me projecting? Like no. he does the same freaking. He's a lawyer, literally does the same thing I do. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I didn't even get into any of that. Yeah. That this is well, here it yeah, is. Yeah, here yeah, it yeah. is, Kate. And I love Jake, by the way. Yeah. I don't know why he's supposed to be a douchebag, and I love him. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and he's not in it a lot, but he really no. jumped off the page. For yes. Me. Oh my gosh. Yes. I mean, me too. The chapter that is she titles "Don't Hold This Against Me" is where we mm -hmm. we meet Jake, and the mm -hmm. whole thing is just full of so much good stuff he answers the phone anderson you know like yeah. and mm -hmm. she knows she says in the two years since we've last spoken he hasn't made a change to his greeting even though it comes off as smug he likes that it comes off as smug that's why he does it he thinks it's a good thing smugness intimidation considering what he does for a living he's a litigator at a white shoe park avenue law firm on track to being one of the youngest senior partners it's i, I oh yeah he just jumps off the page for me. And then yeah. right in the next page, she's got one of his tells, right? She says, I hear Jake start to bite on his pen. Mm -hmm. No one else in the world would decipher that this is what he's doing, his secret habit. The one less than confident thing Jake does. Yes. By the way, here we go. Contradiction, complexity in this character who appears in like, I don't know, a total of... Uh, 
uh, yes. you know, 500 words. But I right. can. But that one line yeah. you could tell. And she from goes the, on. You learned so much. She says, I can picture it as if he were sitting right there, staring at his mauled pen cap. It's a terrible thing to know everything about someone long after you want to. I mean. Yeah. And then, and then he says, next page, just try to stay calm. You know more than you think you do. You know how to get through this, he says to her. And she's, and internally she says, it's enough to make me cry. The way he says it, sweetly, assuredly, Jake's version of a deep kindness. But in the future, he says, don't say someone is innocent, okay? Say he's not guilty. If you have to say something. But say something, saying someone's innocent makes you sound like an idiot, especially when most people are guilty as fuck. And then, I love, and there it is. And then right? there's was, that. She says, yeah, exactly. I knew the line. I was like, there's a line. It's like, it's and that's Jake. So, yes. <laughs> oh, so good. I, I agree. I'm so glad you picked that. I mean, I, we, I, we talked a little bit earlier, and I'm sorry that Joanna's not here to talk about this part of it, but like, Owen was more one-dimensional than Jake, who shows up so briefly. Yeah. I love it. And then it's not the end of Jake because she calls him again when she's, you know, really struggling. What am I supposed to do here? She turns to him for help, and he's willing to help her and gracious, so gracious. He invites her to come to New York. Come to yeah. New York. I ha- Both of you, he says. Bring Bailey. I have friends on the board at Dalton she can finish the school year here and you know Hannah's having trouble with this she says I close my eyes how can how am I here again on the phone with Jake how is Jake the one who's helping me when we ended our relationship Jake said I'd always felt absent to him I didn't argue with him I couldn't because I was a little absent it had felt like something was missing with Jake the very thing I thought I'd had with Owen but if Jake is correct about Owen then Owen and I didn't have what we thought we did and maybe we didn't have anything close to it at all and it's like oh you just see this moment of like she is looking at the two of them and reflecting herself back and like trying to distill what's true about her but I I I loved Jake (laughs) I love Jake. She actually said he was the easiest character to write. And she's like, I could just, like, I know that guy. And I don't know if she means she just got lawyer friends or there's someone she knows that just, but she was like, it was, and she said she had the most fun writing him. And I think that comes through. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I really, and I just didn't know. I'm so glad you said it because, like I said, I didn't know if it was just me because, like, that's literally in my lane, you know, but it's sort of in your lane too. But I mean, the litigator at a white yeah, shoe park having yeah. from I'm like, these are my people. Right. Like, of course I love Jake. And he was also like, shows moments of kindness, but then goes back to being a dick. I know. I'm like, yeah, he I, speaks my language. I mean, I think Jake meets all of our criteria for a complicated woman. Direct, yeah, there you blunt, go. you know, yep. like yeah. uh-huh. wants you but doesn't need you. And excuse yes. me, this is not an ex. This is his her ex-fiance. Fiance. He yeah, proposed. Years. She said yes. yes. What is going on here? So that's my crystal ball is I want to know what's going on with Hannah and Jake. I want it. I want, I can see her. Bailey's all set up. She's good in her life. Hannah shows up on Jake's doorstep. And I want to, I wanted to write something with Bloody Marys and, and their burgers. But you know, whatever. I I didn't didn't go, but I need to know more about them. I'm okay. So I want to read that. Book. Yes, I'm not. Sh- I do. So I, I like your crystal ball <laughs> more than what I 
Yeah. It reminded, it reminded me a little of, of um, Taylor Jenkins Reid, One True Loves, yeah. right? She yes. thinks, if, okay, let's say Hannah really does think Owen's the love of her life, but he's gone. That's it. It's yeah. over. So now yeah. she goes back to Jake and realizes they have unfinished business and what what is, you know, his bravado is his shield. Her independence is, she uses as a shield. They're going to break those walls down for each other. I am so into them. So into them. Oh, right. I'm into this yeah. too. Okay. So I, she did say, Laura Dave, that she's working on a sequel or might write a sequel. I don't know what stage it's in. So that did have us thinking, you know, we always talk crystal ball, but you know, if she's actually writing one, like what might that look like? I prefer yours. I would like that if you want to, you know, Laura, when you listen to this, but I do you think that's what no, absolutely where not. her sequel will go? No okay, way. okay, that's Definitely what. Not. Yeah, I like that better though. No. I looked at it more from well, what what do we think it would look like? And you know, there was this line in it. She said it a lot, but this one where she's wrestling with why Owen would leave, and she's like, he would only leave for her. It has to be that he left the way he did to try and save her. He's talking about Bailey, Bailey. from something or someone. It all comes down to Bailey. The rest is just a story. And I'm like, all right. So to me, I thought the sequel was going to be involving or focused on Bailey and oh. the way, I don't know. But And then in my, my I don't think she's going to write this, but this is where I take on my own fiction here. But clearly Bailey, if, if she, this is her story, she definitely has daddy issues. I mean, her dad, as Joanna pointed out earlier, basically lied to her about her entire existence. Then he right. leaves. Including her name. Um, at the, yeah. Everything. And then at the end, you know, there's even that reference to when she's walking in to see Hannah again and she's got like her new boyfriend, like suggesting that there was another boyfriend last week. So I'm like, she has daddy issues. She's going to be struggling in relationships because her dad left her and her dad lied to her. Maybe she goes and looks for Owen to kind of deal with her shit. I don't know. This is where I probably am getting into the make-believe, but I did think it would be focused on Bailey. But what do you think? Interesting. I don't I, know. I like, thought it would be story. more, yeah, I thought it would be more Hannah, again, cycling with Owen. Maybe more information comes out. Maybe he reaches out to her and there's some like code of he needs, you know, help again. Or maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe he comes back and, I mean, this we didn't talk about this, but I really, yeah. I, like, I did not like Owen for not coming. Like, he should have dealt with this shit. He's the one who should. I know. He shouldn't be running and abandoning Hannah and Bailey. Like, what? what's going on? He needs to come back <sighs> and know. deal with this. Okay, I understand it's like a serious, you know, like, th- mobster threat type of thing, but... I don't know. I know. I agree with you. But again, I think this goes back to her whole, she wanted to write a story about a woman who becomes the hero yes. of her own life. Yes. So Han- in this context, Hannah had to deal with it herself, had to figure it all yes. out, figure it out for Bailey, yes. right? That's what, I, I don't, yeah. maybe that's what str- I'm struggling with. Like a lot of these issues, I'm like, given what she wanted to write, she had to do it that way. But yeah. <sighs> I don't know. I Because I yeah. also, also wasn't the whole issue that he did all of this before he met her before he met Hannah yes to keep Bailey away from these people yes. from his father-in-law from the evil yes. people yet the deal she strikes yeah is right 
Yeah, you'll have dinner and hang yeah. out with the evil people. Well, that's, know, what? she has a line and I've, uh, gosh. I know, like he'll forgive me for exactly. what I'm about to do. Yeah. yeah. So. I know. I liked like, that. I liked that yeah. she wasn't just a, a stand-in for Owen, that she, she was like, this is what I think is the best deal. This is what I'm going to, yeah. this is what I think and, should happen. Yeah. And and that yeah. brought in her own experience as a essentially um, an orphaned with no yes. with no parents even though she was raised by a caring loving grandfather you know that she was like this is actually what's best for Bailey not just yes. what Owen thinks is best because he's clouded with with his shit right yeah. with his shit with these yeah. people yeah this is what's hard for me I have no criticism of the book the book was executed exactly I mean I have nothing to say about that it's just that you can imagine 30 books in this book, right? There are so many yeah. other things. I think things. there was 30 yeah, books in this true. book. Oh my right? God. I mean, she wrote she wrote 15 drafts, something. I mean, so like right. I said, Owen's whole point of view was in at one point. Yeah. I think it has been 30 yes, books. Yes, you're so right. And I feel like the ghosts of them linger in it. And yes. not in a way that takes away from the book, but in a way that like, I want more. Like what? What yeah. is Hannah's story with Jake? What is Owen gonna do? How, when will Owen get his? You know, I yeah. I agree, and and maybe that's that's what the sequel is is Owen coming back and becoming the hero of his story because right now he's not high on my list. I think he's a fucking jerk. Well, that's why I think it's really Bailey's story, and she has to deal with her dad, and that's where you get in the Owen piece. Yeah, okay. I could see that, too. I had but never I don't once know. considered that. I, I could totally see that, but I hadn't considered yeah. it. Yeah. Well, when Laura listens, she'll take yes. all our input and, and she'll decide. she'll probably write what, all of you know. them because she's going to have to at this point, and then she'll decide exactly. which version will will be out there in the world. Yes, exactly. But first, we get it as a limited series. I mean... I think this is going to be good. Oh, it's going to be so I mean, good. And Julia Roberts is going to bring uh, something. I She's incredible. I, I I love her. Love her. Yeah. This is, I think this is going to be big yeah. for Apple and yeah. Reese and these guys. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yay. Then we'll cover that. Oh my God. A hundred percent. There's <laughs> no doubt. We're going to, we're going to be all over that. I'll just tell you this tiny anecdote is that in New York years and years ago, I used to work at a shared writer space called the writer's room and yes. I wrote a lot of my first novel there and there was a really wide range of writers that worked there and I knew just a few people it wasn't a very convivial place but anyway one day I walked into the lobby and there was a sort of little poster for Laura's first book which is called London is the best town in America mm -hmm. or the best city mm -hmm. in America best city mm -hmm. yep, yep. And I had lived in London myself, and it's my favorite city. And I didn't know Laura at all, but I was like, what is this book? And so <laughs> I – and I then sort of asked around, and Laura had already moved. She was no longer at the writer's room. She had moved to L.A., I believe. And and so I never met her. And I even – I looked at her author photo, and I was like, I never saw this person here. But I immediately read the book and loved it and was like, I wish she were my friend. <laughs> We want to let you know we've launched a Patreon page where supporters can receive perks like bonus episodes and exclusive content. Because Pop Fiction Women is our passion project, a place where we give women space to show up and offer in-depth analysis in the ways we're used to hearing about male creators and their characters. We delve into creativity and psychology with a dash of astrology, and we have so much fun doing it. Just two friends breaking down books, movies, and shows like... Normal people, 
Fleabag, and I May Destroy You. Every single aspect of this podcast we do ourselves, from the preparation to the recording, from the editing to the social media promotion. So we're adding a Patreon platform because we want to keep making the show you love and hopefully expand it even further. So please consider becoming one of our most complicated fans and contributing on Patreon. To learn more, go to patreon.com forward slash pop fiction women. This has been Pop Fiction Women with Corinne and Kate. If you enjoyed this show, please tell the complicated women in your life. And the men who love them. Yes, tell them to listen. And then to follow on Spotify or review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And of course, share on social media. Tag us with your favorite books, TV shows, and movies starring complicated women on Facebook and Instagram at Pop Fiction Women or on Twitter at Pop underscore Women. For more coverage of the women you love or to find out if you qualify as a complicated woman, go to popfictionwomen.com. And keep it complicated.